With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter.com slash Joy Keys, and you can become a fan on Facebook. Just look up Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. Also, now I'm on Instagram. Yes, lots of cool pictures, and if you tag me in something, you might win a prize. Uh, today I'm going to be giving away some copies of the book that we'll be discussing But I also want to say thank you to all the listeners past almost close to a million downloads, 880,000 or so downloads of the show. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for your support, for listening. I hope you share them with friends and family. I really appreciate it. I don't even know all of you, so just want to say thank you today. Well, today, this is the second time this guest has been on the show. They had helped uh, edit and, and write a book about Muslim women and their experience with love and sex and intimacy. And now they wrote a book, uh, well, actually, I'm sorry, edited, I should say, a book with men's views about love, sex, and intimacy, American Muslim men's views about these things. Yes, right? Men have views about these things. They want to talk about them. They want to share. Yes, very insightful book. It's called Salam Love, American Muslim Men on Love, Sex, and Intimacy. And today, Nora Matnavi is on the line. Hello, Nora. Hi, Joy. Thank you so much for calling in. We were going to have Aisha Matu. She she was going to be also on, but she couldn't make it today. But Nora and I can definitely discuss a lot because the book is so rich in a variety of stories from men just really bearing their souls about their feelings. Like, what? Ew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me, like, did you, why now, men? I mean, did you were you not satisfied with just getting the women? Were you badgered by people saying, no, we want to talk about this? Tell me about how this came about. Yeah, so when uh, Love and Shala came out two years ago, um, we had such an incredible uh, reception to the book. We heard from people around the world who really were moved by the stories um, from women who said that it really resonated with them and they felt like they weren't alone. Um, And then we started hearing from men who said, where are our stories? Um, and, you know, we, we thought it was a big joke. We, we said, please, that would be the shortest book ever because men don't talk about their feelings. Um, <laughs> so we from them. And so we decided to give them a chance um, because we thought to ourselves, what if it's not that men don't talk about their feelings, but it's that they don't have the space to talk about their feelings. Um, mm. And, you know, we talk about it a little bit in the introduction that the thought of men without space sounds absurd because men dominate uh, sort of positions of power and leadership. But we we realize that men often don't have the space to talk about emotions and feelings and love and intimacy um, in the same way 
sometimes that women are. So we wanted to give them that space, and we were just uh, really surprised and pleased by the stories that we received. Yeah, I was definitely, I was definitely uh, excited to read because I, you know, I had you on to uh, and read the other books. I was like, well, what's going to be different? You know, what are they going to say? What are the men going to say? And how are they going to say it? And how much are they going to expose of themselves? Um, and you have some comedy in here. You have sadness. You have family. You have friends. You have, uh, I would say, almost enlightenment. Some people came to enlightenment uh, in search of love, but more finding love for themselves. Um, and so one of the funny parts, I just wanted to read this uh, little section here. Uh, I'll just read it, and then afterwards we can talk about it. Uh, just as she finished ringing up the last pomegranate, her father entered the store. He said good morning to her in Persian and then kissed her on the lips. I thought I was going to throw up. What kind of disgusting incest had I just witnessed? Then I noticed it, a thin gold wedding band on her finger. How had I never seen it before? I felt the heat rushing to my cheeks like it did when I had been caught staring at her by my mom. And just like on that day, my face turned redder than a pomegranate. All that time, energy, and money spent over the last three months, all those Persian lessons, groceries, and poetry, and she was married. It was fortunate that I did not confess my feelings for her while her husband was around. It would have led to an Iran-Iraq war in the grocery store with pomegranates instead of grenades. <laughs> oh, my God. That was one of the funniest stories. I did not see that coming out of left field. Basically, uh, why don't you tell the audience what, what happened in that story? Sure. So this is a story called The Other Iran-Iraq War, and it was written by um, our contributor, Ibrahim Al-Marashi. And he writes about being a student at UCLA um, and uh, going to a local Persian grocery store and sort of falling in love with this Iranian checkout woman. And so he decides that he's going to woo her and he's going to make her fall in love with him by learning Persian. So over the course of a semester, he takes Persian classes at UCLA and has this weekly visit to this grocery store to sort of build up the nerve to talk to this woman. And then as you read, he realizes sort of toward the end of the semester that she's married. And it's just, it's a hilarious story because I think it really captures that kind of, um, I don't know, that sort of crush that we've all had and experienced where you're sort of trying to work up the nerve to talk to somebody and you've built up all these fantasies about who they are. And, um, and so he writes about really, though, during the course of this sort of one-sided courtship, falling in love with the Persian language and the Persian culture and sort of being enriched in a way that he didn't expect. Yeah, I mean, that's um, one of the funny things is that love is blind, uh, mm -hmm. funny and sad, you know, and literally he was blinded by his love uh, for her and didn't see the wedding band. And the funny thing also is that she must have been flirting back with him, though, I have to say, because he said that, um, and, and then again, maybe it was in his head, that she started to seem impressed by the amount of language he had learned and right. that he was able to converse with her, you know, better. So in a way, I don't know, he wasn't the only one, you know. I mean, I don't know if she was playing with this. I don't know, you know. There was something yeah. on her part that, you know, 
kept him coming back a little bit, I would say. Um, one of the other uh, parts um, that's, uh, that also happened in other books, it talks about arranged marriages and families and friends trying to set uh, individuals up with the, the best person for them. Um, and this uh, young man uh, in the chapter is called How Did I Get uh, Up Here? How Did I End Up Here? Uh, just a little funny paragraph. Uh, it says, it was Ramadan, so none of us was eating or drinking, but the Gotak, Gotak, did I say it? I'm sorry, Nora. Gotak, yeah. Gotak decided that we should all meet at a snake shop, a snack shop, sorry, not a snake shop, a snack shop on the second floor of the mall. We arrived uh, to find the Gotak chubby in her 50s wearing glasses and a white hijab, sitting alone at one of the snack shop's dozen or so Formica tables. Chaju walked up to her first and gave her salam. When I gave her my salam, she looked me up and down and said, you're not very tall. Ouch. I was in trouble. The Gotak hadn't known what I looked like. My heart sank. So in that chapter, he's older, I mean much older uh, in terms of culturally for him not to be married. Uh, what was he, like 37? Yeah, he was 37. 36. 37. So um, talk to me about this issue of him being older uh, and yeah. the pressure uh, in different Muslim cultures overall to, to get married at a younger age. Right. So this is uh, this, this story was written by um, R.F. Chowdhury, who is Bangladeshi American man from the Chicago area, and he writes about sort of his struggle to find a partner and to find the one. And um, I think it's a really very brave story uh, that he really goes through sort of his challenge of trying to find a partner in a community that really values certain sort of, uh, you know, as he writes, sort of superficial things like height and profession. And, you know, as he writes in his story, he's, he's on the shorter side, he's chubby, mm-hmm. he um, has pursued artistic endeavors. So as he writes, he's not a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Um, and, 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 and the struggle that he sort of has trying to find a Bangladeshi American partner. And, um, you know, when you, it's, it's really interesting to hear RF talk about this piece because he says that it was an incredibly painful time for him, but he wrote it because he, um, uh, you know, there's sort of this thought often in some communities that it's much easier. Men have it easier. Um, and he right. says that, you know, in some cases men do have it easier, but he wanted to write this piece to show that men have, their own struggles, um, finding a partner, and for every sort of um, expectation we have of women, you know, to look a certain way, to behave a certain way, there are similar expectations put on men. Um, so the good news is that he has he has gotten married. He he uh, he's now married happily, um, and yeah, it's it's a lovely it's a lovely ending. But I'm and we're really pleased that he chose to write about this period of his life. Um, because I think it's it's sort of a struggle that's universal to all people, all you know, both genders, um, and and something that people can really uh, identify with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even in American culture in general, um, I think to get married, actually, for us, young is 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 opposite. Like, you don't want to like if you're 25 and you're saying you get married, people are like, what? What are you doing? Get married? Mm-hmm. So, but then as a woman. 
if you're a woman and you're 37, and, and, and this is a generalized statement in American culture, people are like, what's wrong with you? Why are you not married? Right. Like, right. So it, it's, it's, it's okay for the man to be older, but for the woman to be older, because the issue of having children comes up. And uh, in, in actuality, 35, after 35, is high-risk pregnancy, so the issue of having kids and family is, is, is uh, the major you know, point there. Right. Um, now, some other stories, you also uh, bring in the issue of a uh, gay Muslim man and his path uh, to finding love, uh, and, and that was very brave uh, to bring that up as well because um, he really, well, why don't you talk about his, his path and, and what he went through a little bit. Um, sure. So we actually have two, two writers in the, in the book who write about um, their, their sexual orientation, both gay men. And um, the one that I think you're referring to is Rami Elatrevi, who is uh, from Los Angeles, and he writes about um, coming out sort of in a very public way. At the time, he was starring in a play about a gay Arab-American man, and um, he was called by the LA Times to sort of comment on the piece, and he came out to the LA Times. And so his parents first heard about him, uh, through the newspaper, and so he writes like what should have been a very private moment became very public. Um, and then, and then, really writing about sort of the struggle after coming out um, to sort of you know his parents are very well known in the in the community. His father was chairperson of a mosque. Um, the sort of that external struggle with his family, and then internal struggle, um, sort of with and and with God and trying to reconcile all of these things. So it's it's a very much a coming out story, but it's also a sort of coming out and coming back to the faith story. So what do we do when, um, you know, we have these challenges in our lives and it tests our faith and sort of he really sort of mapped out that journey. Yeah, you have the book broken up. Let me just tell the audience into different sections. Um First, the first part is called Uma. It takes a village, um, and that is definitely uh, evident uh, in that section. But even in other sections, how uh, family and external family, uh, the extended family, I should say, are so important in Muslim culture, and how sometimes uh, the men felt isolated because they didn't have anyone around who they could relate to and speak to about their feelings. Um, and then Sarat, is that how you pronounce that? The journey. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's talking about the romantic and personal and spiritual transformations. Um, and then uh, the last one is Sabir? Sabir. Sabir and sickness Sabir, yeah. and in health. And now that's a really sad part. Wow, you know, we all say when you get married in sickness and in health, but you are not, I don't think most people are not thinking about the sickness part. They're not thinking of, you know, maybe the day they get married and the next day the person gets hit by a car or the day they get married and, you know, five years down the lane, five years down the road, um, then your partner is becomes paralyzed. And that's what happens um, to, this was one of the last stories in the book. And right. why don't you talk to them about that? That was really hard. Like, I was like, oh, my God, tissue, <laughs> tissue, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, um, yeah. Go ahead. The last section, I think a, a lot of people have been, you know, telling us that they're incredibly moved by it, and it's exactly what you think. It's, you know, when you get married, 
there's sort of happiness and excitement, and you don't you save the infectiousness and health bell, but you don't really think about what that means. And um, all of these writers really, you know, as we say, they lift, lift the facade on happily ever after to talk about what really, what it really takes to keep a relationship going over the long term. So the piece that you're, I think that you're referring to about the paralysis, that was actually written by Randy Mason, who is the husband of my co-editor, Aisha Matu. And he writes about um, Aisha's diagnosis shortly after, I think it's 15 months into their marriage with Devic's. Um, disease, which causes uh, paralysis and temporary blindness, and how he realized that, um, you know, to be family is not just about a marriage marriage vow. It's something about something much deeper, and it's about um, uh, and, and so his 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 story is really about that journey to not only being a caretaker to his wife, but really sort of coming into his own as a husband and a partner. And what does that mean? Um, in the context of a marriage. And, and my, I think all of those stories, what's, what's really unique about it is sometimes we, um, you know, we often think about the caregiver role as sometimes a very, you know, a very feminine or a female role, and we don't often think about yes. men as caregivers. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's why some of these stories are incredibly powerful. Like there's the story of Alan Howard who writes about taking care of his wife who, um, who had cancer, and she writes about, mm-hmm. you know, they were married for 18 years, and for eight of those years, she was sick, and um, and I, you know, that is definitely not a perspective that we often hear, so I think it's really moving to read it from, from a male perspective. One of the things also I like about the story at the end um, is about men uh, understanding when women say they're not listening to them. And, uh, you know, he wrote uh, in this section, he said, one evening during his stay, Dad and I went out together, and I had never talked to him about what was going on between Aisha and me, but I laid it out all out on the table, the transgression, stress, counseling, the near divorce. I needed advice badly. What I got instead was a stunning reflection. He responded with some accounts of his own marital issues, complained for a bit about his wife, and talked in abstract cliches about the challenges of dealing with women in marriage. Instead of engaging me about my situation, he vented about his problems. I was briefly infuriated, ready to lash out when it hit me. And what hit him is that this is what he was doing with his wife, Mm -hmm. that he had not been listening to her and engaging her uh, in her concerns at the moment, at the, whatever the present moment was, uh, he was not listening. And that's a key skill, being able to listen to your partner and hear them and be present for them and not get into your stuff, your baggage. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And it's a great, um, I think he, you know, he writes about that so honestly and and one thing that I love about it is that he, you know, he has this realization, he shares it with his wife, and she's skeptical. And so I love that he then continues to say, of course she was skeptical, you know, you can't just make these pronouncements, I had to put it into action. And sort of, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing to have a realization about something, and it's another thing to completely, you know, to act on it and to say, I've had this realization and I'm going to change it. It's not going to be just words. Um, and then he shows us how how that transformation happens. 
one of the other parts that um, you, you deal with is that men are also concerned about their virginity um, mm-hmm. and uh, how when they uh, initially younger, some of the, young, the guys talk about when they were younger and their first sexual experience, and then they're like, oh, my God, one, one story, I don't remember his name, but he ran into the bathroom and started, like, praying incessantly, um, and, like, the, the girl was outside, like, what is going on with you? Like, and just leaves, and he was just, like, so freaked out, like, you know, and you never, like, I don't remember hearing that type of story that a man was freaked out, like, usually guys are like, yeah, I did it, I'm the man, you know, um, right. but this goes to their issue of faith and their belief system and how deeply, they themselves didn't realize how deeply ingrained it was, you know, right. in, them, yeah. in themselves, you know, so right. or how, that yeah. was uh, very interesting. Right, and that notion of sex, I mean, yeah, especially within um, a religious context, I think, for for a lot of men also. I mean, the story that you were talking about was by um, a writer named Yusuf Ramalizi, and his story is called Who I Need to Be, and it is about losing his virginity and then being racked with guilt and thinking that you know, it wasn't with somebody that he loved, it wasn't with somebody that he was in, you know, a long-term relationship with it, with it. And and that experience really caused him to go back and sort of think think about his faith and and think about what he needed in a partner. So it's, I mean it's really interesting because I think yeah same thing you you don't think of men having these kind of long sort of thought out processes around um, sex, but a lot of our writers uh, do take us through that thinking and journey. Also, one of the things is that you have all different types. You say American Muslim, but you have African American Muslims, you have Persian American Muslims, you have Iranian, Iraq, you know, and Indian. So you see how the cultures within a culture, meaning, you know, within the Muslim culture, there are other little subsects and how trying to interact, you know, people fall in love, you know, like the one guy, he was from Iraq and he fell in love with an Iranian, you know, or an Indian falling in love with uh, Arab, you know, so there's all these different um, lines that are being crossed and how people have to maneuver and how they use their faith to to help them maneuver or how, and when they get in these situations, they go back to their faith because they realize, mm-hmm. you know what, that wasn't even what I was seeking. I needed to go back within instead, you know. Um, right. That's, that happened through many of the stories. Um, yeah. And what's what's yeah, one of the most interesting? Go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, sorry. I was just going to comment no. on your point about the diversity is that, you know, that was something mm-hmm. definitely we were looking at because the American Muslim community is one of the most diverse Muslim communities in the world. And, you know, we have people from who may be the children of immigrants from every country um, across the globe. But we also have um, people who um, who are Muslim by conversion, um, people who are black, white, who have been American for generations. So I, I think that we really, that was something that we really were um, seeking to give a snapshot of in, in the collection. And I mean, obviously we weren't able to um, do justice to uh, all of the different people of different backgrounds um, in the country, but we wanted to sort of show that range of, of the Muslim community. Well, I think you guys did a great job with the second book, Salam Love, American Muslim Men on Love, Sex, and Intimacy, 
edited by Aisha Matu and Nora Maznavi. I'm going to be giving away some copies of this book, so if you're listening, you want to follow at Joy Keys or become a fan on Facebook or possibly tag me on Twitter, I mean, I'm sorry, on Instagram, and you can win a copy of the book, Salam Love. Thank you so much, uh, Nora, for coming on this morning. Please let Aisha know I'm thinking about her. And um, just many blessings yeah, like, um, with this, this thank book. You. Thank you very much. It was a great conversation. Yeah. Oh, and let me tell them, tell them your Twitter handle. Um, you guys oh, are both yes. on Twitter. Yes, we are on Twitter at Love Inshallah. And we're also on Facebook, uh, Facebook backslash Love Inshallah. And we also have a blog, loveinshallah.com, where we are continuing the conversation about these issues. And uh, we have follow-ups to all the stories so you can, you can see what your favorite writer is up to. And, and what's your, um, and you're on your Twitter, you're on Twitter, right? Or is Aisha, she's the only one on Twitter? Oh, we're both on Twitter, yeah. Aisha yeah. is <laughs> Aisha, Aisha, Aisha underscore Matu, and mine is at Satnormaz. <laughs> both on there as well. All right, well, you have a wonderful Saturday and a great coming week, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Okay, all right, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I just want to let you know uh, I'll be giving away some copies of this book. Again, Salam Love, so you want to follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter. You want to become a fan on Facebook, um, and you can just look up Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys or tag me on Instagram. Um, I'm Saturdays with uh, Joy Keys on Instagram, and you might win a copy of the book. Stay tuned. I'm going to be speaking with artist Micheline Thomas about her documentary about her mother, which is premiering on HBO this coming Monday. So if you want to tune in, that will be in a couple minutes at 11.30. Thank you so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful Saturday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.